0: This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible.
1: Boeing has been an emotional topic throughout the last year. For months, we heard more and more about how the company mishandled its 737 MAX. Not just the crashes of the planes, but the response to the crashes. The more we hear about Boeing's decisions, the more tragic the crashes have become. And yet, for the most part, investors have stuck with the stock. The contrast is a fascinating study in economics, aerospace, and the stock markets. Barron's Al Root has been closely following the Boeing story. Al joins us today on the latest readback. Hey, Al. Hi, Alex. So since you were last on the podcast talking about Boeing last March, a lot has changed. Take us through kind of where we've been and where we are.
0: Oh, man, there has been so many developments. So to start, we had two deadly crashes inside of five months for the same reason.
1: We begin with breaking news on the Ethiopian Airlines crash. Ethiopia's transport minister says the plane's flight data recorder shows similarities with the crash of the same model, Boeing 737 MAX 8, back in October. According to the plane's flight data recorder, a new anti-stall system known as MCAS automatically pushed the plane's nose down more
0: than two dozen times during the 11-minute flight before the pilots lost control. And that led to the worldwide grounding of the plane by global aviation authorities. And that was what, about March, April of 2019? Mid-March. And then Boeing has spent months doing basically two things, working feverishly on fixes to the planes, changes to plane hardware, sensors, the flight control software. And then the other thing is managing the fallout from the PR disaster, which has been the max grounding.
1: Until recently, actually, Boeing has been quite defensive about all of this.
0: Right. You know, I I think that if you look back over the past year, you know, Boeing has basically consistently said, you know, our top priority is safety and we're going to do whatever regulators tell us to do. So it's been very reactive and it's probably been, you know, an example of not how to manage a big product recall.
1: And then something changed in late December.
0: The breaking news uh, this morning, Boeing has pushed out its chief executive, Dennis Muhlenberg. In an announcement, the firm said David Calhoun, the chairman, is to replace Muhlenberg. Officially, CEO Dennis Muhlenberg resigned. I think for all intents and purposes, we can say they fired Dennis Muhlenberg after uh, a few things happened there were a series of emails that came out that were basically not disclosed originally to regulators and they looked very bad. They included internal communications where people were talking about Jedi mind-tricking regulators into approving the jet. And eventually it just became too much and they decided a change needed to be made. So they went with former board member Dave Calhoun. He ran GE's aviation franchise back in the early 2000s and now he is taking the top job this week. So Boeing has gone from what I would characterize as a very defensive posture, basically saying they'd work with the FAA and do whatever was required to a more proactive posture. One of the things that they recently announced was they feel all pilots should be trained in Boeing 737 MAX simulator, something that wasn't happening before.
1: Meaning they sold everyone a new plane and actually didn't require training in that new plane.
0: So, of course, airlines make their pilots get training every year in accordance with whatever they feel like is best. But one of the things that happens to get a pilot's license, it's it's maybe analogous to getting a motorcycle license. First, you get your driver's license, and then you do tests and and practice driving a motorcycle. When you get your pilot's license, you become a pilot, and then you get certified to fly different plane types. And one of the things that Airbus and Boeing tried to do is limit the changes from any one model to the next so pilots don't have to go through sort of a full recertification. And so the 737 MAX pilots, you know, they didn't need any incremental training, you know, from flying older versions of the 737 plane.
1: So that's kind of been one of the biggest changes, right, is Boeing has finally said, okay, we are going to recommend training for this plane.
0: And the funny thing about that is it's moving away from the defensive stance Mm -hmm. and moving... I wouldn't call it an offensive view, a proactive stance. Yeah. And that's polar opposite way that Mr. Mullenberg was handling the situation. Okay.
1: And this all takes us to kind of this key next point for Boeing, for consumers, for investors, which is where are we right now with the 737 MAX? And what's the timeline for this still grounded plane?
0: So – The timeline has been slipping. I think that's the easiest way to put it. When this first happened, aviation stakeholders thought in terms of months. Then eventually, Boeing said we can get it back flying commercially by the end of 2019. Now we're talking about getting it flying by the end of the first quarter of 2020. It just continues to be delayed. It creates a series of new problems. Boeing cut production of the MAX in April from 52 a month to 42 a month. Now they are going to stop producing it altogether in mid-January.
1: They're not building any more 737 maxes right now.
0: Right. They're turning their attention to the 400 or so that have been built and parked and maintaining those and getting those ready for delivery. So that's relatively new. They were hoping that they wouldn't have to shut production down entirely because that ripples up and down the supply chain.
1: No manufacturing company likes to just turn off manufacturing.
0: No. And then the issue is you're getting layoffs deeper down the supply chain, and that's a cash flow issue for other suppliers. It messes up parts availability. It messes up the ability to bring the plane back into production because you know we we have these systems, these just-in-time delivery systems up and down the the aerospace value chain. You know, you may say, okay, I'd like to build 50 a month when I come back, but you know, your supply base may have to go back and hire people and find people and train people and ramp that system back up. So it just drags the entire process out in terms of almost years.
1: And so this timeline of the end of the first quarter for the seven thirty seven Max to be flying again, is that realistic?
0: When I sit back and think about it, I think the timing is looking less and less likely because the more we learn, the more complex it seems, and the more decisions and the more stages to reintroduction there are, whether it be training, whether it be uh, hardware changes in terms of sensors on the front of the plane. We learned in terms of, okay, the FAA is going to do you know uh, test flights with uh, the updated flight control software. Uh, those haven't happened yet. The process after that is sort of a mystery, right? Like we we don't know how long or if it'll go well or how many hours they'll want these things to. So the more we learn, the more it seems like it's going to be a little longer than people expect. And that's a really big deal because airlines want capacity in the peak season, which starts in the spring and the summer. So if it drags on a little longer, then airlines don't really want the planes in the back half of the year when vacation demand sort of goes down.
1: Got it. You mentioned airlines. I want to just shift gears a little bit and talk about consumers and flyers because I'm still trying to understand why in the world would anyone get back on one of these planes when and if it does start flying again?
0: So Wall Street brokerages, analysts have been running surveys, surveying the flying public. You know, how do you feel about the MAX? Interestingly, the flying public's focus is actually decreasing right so when this first happened you know 50 to 60% of the flying public you know was highly aware of max issues Now it's more like 40%. It's actually sort of decreasing in importance on uh, the stories and and how they're consuming the news. That actually counterintuitively works in Boeing's favor to some extent. The other thing that's happening is if the plane flies safely for six months to a year, the surveys indicate that the flying public will forgive Boeing and be willing to get back on a 737 MAX. The other thing that we've learned is some of the things the airlines are thinking about doing. They're going to have test flights with management and journalists and are going to fly these things around to sort of make a public display that they're safe to fly so they're aware of it and they're strategizing on how they're going to reintroduce it to service you know it's sort of a cold calculation but if a max is you know 59 dollars a seat to fly to Las Vegas people might be incented to take that because price is the ultimate arbiter of these things.
1: That does sound very cynical, but basically you're saying airlines will figure out a way to price this thing so that people actually get on them.
0: Yeah, and this goes back to the idea of the industry, right? The thing is there are only two large jet makers in the world, Boeing and its European rival Airbus. They're the only two games in town, and you have very roughly ten to 12,000 Single aisle jets, you know the kind we fly from New York to Chicago, which is the Max, which is the Max, or Airbus's competing A320 family of jets. You have very roughly ten to twelve thousand ordered, and they're supposed to be delivered over five to seven years. And if there's a significant problem with the Max, that you know the Max doesn't come back, or it needs a material redesign, or it's going to be years, what that means is there's just less. Uh, seats available to fly around the globe. There is no competing product and no gap that could be made up. Even if Airbus said, oh, fine, we'll just double A320neo production. It's an incredibly complicated equation for an airline to switch going from a Max to an A320neo. Just with the training, you have to be certified to fly an A320 and they fly 737 Maxes.
1: So this is what just has not made any sense to me. How is it that after basically a year of just tragedy, total mismanagement, and so many t- terrible things, frankly, coming out about Boeing, that the free market hasn't figured this out? Why don't we have another rival making large commercial jets?
0: It's an excellent question. And you can only really look at sort of the industry structure, the history of the industry to sort of figure out why. People have tried to build a competing product. Bombardier that makes regional jets, they announced 10 to 15 years ago that they were gonna build a C-series jet and it was gonna compete with the 737 and the A320. About $10 billion and 10 years later, Bombardier stock has gone from $3 a share to $2 a share while the broader market has doubled or tripled or done whatever it's done. And now Airbus owns 51% of the program. It's called the A220. And Bombardier could never get any traction in the marketplace. And so we have a duopoly. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's one other example. So now the Chinese want to build their old plane. It's called the C919 from COMAC, the Commercial Aircraft Company of China. After several billion dollars and several years, they have about 300 orders for this plane. And remember, we're talking in terms of 10 to 12,000 orders of A320 jets and 737 jets. So it takes an incredibly long period of time, and it is incredibly difficult to break the duopoly for a whole variety of reasons.
1: So does this all explain why you look at Boeing's stock, and again, as tragic as this has all been, and really as terrible for Boeing as it's been, their stock hasn't done all that badly. I think it was essentially flat in 2019, and it's traded kind of in the same range for the last many months.
0: This has taken about $60 billion off the market value of Boeing. Uh, which still makes it roughly, depending on the day and my own memory, uh, worth about $190 billion. And if you think about Boeing, the max is about 30% maybe. Of the revenue of the entire company. They make other planes, they have a big defense business. And if you think in terms of the total decline, it's down about 20%. So this is how the market sort of works it all out. Well, you know, 30% of earnings and cash flow, it's probably not gone forever. I'll take $60 billion off the market cap and we'll see what happens. That's sort of how the math works. And like we have said, it's Such a unique industry, highly engineered, low volumes, with purchase decisions made over 20-year time horizons. You know, that's why the stock has hung in there.
1: still one of the largest companies in the country.
0: It's the largest industrial company in the world.
1: What do you think happens both to the company and the stock from here?
0: Where the stock goes from here is, you know, we used to think in terms of when the Max is allowed to fly, it'll gain back what it lost. From the grounding, which is whatever the price is, to about four hundred to four hundred and twenty dollars. I no longer believe that because the situation has become so complicated and I believe that the timeline is more likely to slip then be met in terms of Q1, getting it reintroduced to service, that I'm much more cautious about the stock. And I would think in terms of today's range you know, being the top of the range, and I would be waiting for maybe another shoe to drop on the timeline before becoming more aggressive buying Boeing shares. Of course, the things that we said in the past, like Boeing is not going away, it's not an existential crisis, industry structure protects it, all of that's still true. I would just be willing to wait until the FAA is finished, then bet on the existing timeline looking for some small bump to the share price.
1: One last thing I wanted to talk to you about is what's it like covering a stock and a company and writing about Boeing for Barron's when there's just so much human tragedy involved?
0: I always end up feeling like a bit of an apologist. And reader feedback indicates that they think of me that way too sometimes, meaning that if we say there's no existential crisis or that Boeing won't have to cut its dividend or people expect the max to return, which is what we hear from aviation stakeholders, you get a lot of comments like, well, how can that be? You know, this is unprecedented. What about the people who died? What about the people who died? And that's all very true, but it falls into those buckets of responsibility, right? There's management decisions. That's part of the story. And we've written about that. And that becomes stories about how to change culture and how Boeing got away from maybe its core values of operational excellence and safety that's led to the firing of a CEO, firing of Boeing commercial airplanes, things like that have happened. Then there's the regulatory bucket of responsibility and and what the FAA did and didn't do and how that's going to change. And then there is the stock market story of what it means for a large US manufacturer and exporter. What is the appropriate reaction to the stock? What do investors need to know to either prepare for Boeing in the future or to either keep the stock or get out of the stock? People need to know these things as well. So that's just one bucket of the story. And we even have written stories about the human costs. Uh, You know, Boeing is facing lawsuits and they're trying to decide what to do in terms of family compensation. So that is an aspect as well. I think I would say that it is such a complicated, multifaceted situation that you ultimately just do the best you can.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, I mean, it's been fascinating reading your ongoing coverage. And uh, so thanks for doing that. And thanks for being here today. Thanks, Alex. To read Al's ongoing coverage of Boeing, check out Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by MetaLutzhacht. We'll return next week. This episode is brought to you by
0: Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk Streamline security reviews and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at Vanta.com WSJ.